0: On a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger.
1: See all you sleepyheads. I'm very jealous of you right now <laughs> I, I went to a youth a youth conference and we came back last night we got when I went to the conference I was like I was about thirty percent on my message. I was like, oh i'm good i'm good i'll be able to, I'll have time to finish my message while I'm there. nope, didn't have time so we got back at like eight o'clock last night. I was up till one in the morning getting ready for you and I got up so this you better you better just like amen me and like be like yeah <laughs> um I'm playing around hey we're um <laughs> it it what really Probably more about me, right? I don't want to look like an idiot Get up here and have nothing to say That would be the worst That would be the worst uh, So, um, hey, so we've got some pretty exciting things going on around here We've got Easter coming up <clears throat> Easter's a big deal And, and um, we're doing four services I don't know the times because they don't tell me those things but we're doing four services this Easter, and I really want to challenge you. Find somebody in your life that needs Jesus. Take the next few weeks and just, just be really intentional. I would say it like this. Invest in them. Intentionally invest in that relationship, and and then invite them to church with you on Easter. Um, and you might say, Pastor, that, that seems a, a little manipulative to invest in somebody for a purpose. Yes, do it. Do it. Uh, the reason is this. <clears throat> Your friends, your family, your coworkers that don't know Jesus are so much more likely to say yes to come to church just out of courtesy on Easter than any other day of the year. And that has nothing to do with with my ego or whatever. Because honestly, the the following Sunday is always demoralizing as a pastor because there's nobody here. It's like, it's finally good weather. Everybody came to church last week, so I'm out. but, But here's the deal. It's not about having a lot of people in a room. It's really not. What it's really all about is this. If you truly want your friends, your family, your coworker, your neighbors to get to know Jesus, you've got to put them in environments where they can hear the gospel. And if you're comfortable and you're, you're, you're ready to share the gospel yourself, please share the gospel yourself. But if you're not there yet, the next best thing is invite them to church. So, I got one. Invite them to church. But you guys are like that. That half-hearted. You guys, you guys clapped full-heartedly. Everybody else is very half-hearted. Uh, I get it. It's it's uh, daylight savings day, and I'm about to preach half-hearted. Just get ready. So, <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> hey. <laughs> so, we're in a collection of messages where I'm just going through the the book of Romans. Romans uh, was a book that was written by a man in the Bible named. Paul. Paul. Paul was a follower of Jesus after Jesus died. He came to Jesus, and, um, and he wrote a book to a church in a city called Rome. And, uh, and that's, that's the book we're reading. And, and for the next three weeks after today, last week and, and three uh, we're, we're covering just chapter eight. Just chapter eight. Uh, they, they would say it like this: that like Romans is like the crown jewel uh, of. If Romans was like the, the crowning achievement in, uh, in 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 the biblical writings, chapter eight would be like the jewel on top. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing. I promise you, the next couple of weeks are going to be exciting, empowering you to be like, ah, I can take the world on. This week is going to be challenging. All right. Are you ready? Uh, Because Paul's about to throw us a curveball. He's going to throw us a curveball. So last week we 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 went into how Paul talks about the civil war that's inside of us, where the things we want to do we we don't do, and the things we don't want to do we do do, and uh, it's this it's this civil or maybe it's an uncivil war. Within us, and Paul, Paul says this, like that's what's going on in chapter 7. At the beginning of chapter 8, he says, hey, but here's the deal. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He has no strong feelings of disapproval towards you. That's good news. That's good news. And, and through that, that first part of chapter 8, we learned that God, that through the death of Jesus on the cross, God not only cancels the consequences of sin, but he also cancels the power of sin. So God deals with any, the the consequence or the separation between you and God, but then he also cancels the ability of sin to separate. Like he cancels the very power of sin to have a hold over your life. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. And then we talked about how he then seals you, you with his spirit. He puts his spirit inside of you. And, and, and that spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you from the dead. I love it. It's, it's amazing. Even in this, this imagery of, like, him taking us from a life that, that doesn't please God, it's this idea of from death to life, from death to life. Not from bad to good. Not from immoral to moral. It's from death to life. From death to life. And so he goes from this, this place of uh, talking about that it is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and, and that the spirit of the living God that had the power to pull Jesus out of a tomb and create a huge earthquake all across the land and darkness across the land and rip the veil in the temple the spirit of God that did all of that is inside every single one of you. And it's it, it's present, he is present in this room because you're in the room. We we think spaces are holy. No, God thinks people are holy. And and, and that same spirit of God is inside of you. You now have power over the consequences of sin, and you have power over the, the, the power of sin, and you are you are now strengthened by the spirit of God, and then Paul throws this curveball. You ready for it? Here's what he says: he says this, so then brothers. We are debtors. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you've got all power over Like, I've, I've canceled sin. I, I've canceled the power of sin. I've given you my spirit to change you from the inside out. Now you're in debt. He says, now you've got an obligation. You, you have, you have an, anybody have an obligation? I, I, one of my obligations is my dogs. I've got two, two dumb dogs. One of them is nice. The other was a, had a doodle in the name, like it was a something doodle, and so I thought it was going to be hair-free. No. No, it just means its hair gets really big and in big clumps before it sheds. It sheds softballs all over the house. It's just <laughs> worst dog ever. And, and so I'm going to be honest. I have this obligation, and the obligation is every morning... Uh, at, at about 5 o'clock, my dogs start stirring. They, we don't let them out until 6, but about 5 o'clock, they start stirring, and they're, and they're, and there's, they're kind of messing around. I can hear the young one whining, and, and usually when I hear them, I'll, uh, I'll wake up, and then I'll flop over and pull my pillow over my head and hope my wife hears them. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because, like, there's this, like, I'm just, like, I'm waiting. If she doesn't hear, I'm going to kind of nudge her, like, you know, like, poke her, like, and see if, see if she'll go get him. And, and I don't know. Maybe that's not the best lesson on how to be a husband. It might not be. Maybe, maybe not. But we've got this obligation because dogs, you know, animals eat first, right? Like, they, they don't have a choice. So before I wake up the kids, I get the dogs outside, and they, we've got a wood floor, so they just, like, peel out all the way to the back door, and, and then we let them in, and they eat, and uh, it's just an obligation that we have in our house. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expectation. It's a debt that is there. Um, when I think about this idea of, of being in debt to somebody or having an obligation to someone, I think about um, when my wife and I were first married. When we first got married, we, um, we decided probably the best thing we could do as a young couple was get ourselves in some debt. we had this friend who had a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee, 1995 Jeep Grand Cherokee V8, Orvis edition, full leather, everything, except the spare tire is inside the vehicle, so it smells like a nasty tire. And he, he, this was an amazing vehicle. My wife was in love with it. And uh, I was driving a Pontiac Sunfire at the time. It's just not the sexiest car. So my wife was like, we need to, we need to upgrade a little bit. And so, um, so my, my friend, he was like, hey, would you want this car? I said, hey, we're... We're newlyweds, like, we don't have no money, we don't have no credit, we're, we're not going to be buying your car. And he says, hey, uh, tell you what, I'll hold the note. You just guys, you, you make a down payment, and then we'll just agree on a monthly payment, and you just go until you pay it off. I was like, the Lord is good. <laughs> <laughs> buying something I can't afford, yeah, the American way. <laughs> and so we agreed that on the first Sunday of every month, I'd see him at church, and I'd, I'd pay him, and... We were doing that, at PM and I'd pay him. And what was interesting, I mean, we got the vehicle, and, like, uh, it was so awesome. My, my brother-in-law gave me a canoe, and so I put this canoe on top of it, just strapped it down, left it there. You know what I mean? Like, I would go, I would go, I would go canoeing, but I, that canoe didn't come off. I was like, it was like a, a statement piece, you know? It was like, boom. And I'm having so much fun, and after a few months, I just felt like my relationship with the guy I bought the car from, even though I was paying him, I felt like the relationship was strained somehow. I felt like somehow the nature of our relationship changed even though I was paying him. He might not have been thinking it, but I felt like every time I was talking to him, there was this question of, are you going to have enough to pay me at the beginning of next month? Has anybody ever experienced that like you had a good relationship with somebody and then you you money got involved somehow and it just it just got weird. You just got maybe maybe you know you 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 borrowed money from from a friend and and now you feel like they want their money back? How rude. Or maybe you lent your money to to your kid and you're like time to pay me back, sucker. Here's what the Bible says about debt. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22 that the debtor is servant to the lender. So somebody that's in in debt to somebody else is servant to that person or that bank or that loan shark or your mom. If you you borrow money from someone else, you're in debt to them. There's this, this... change that happens in the relationship. It's just the, it's not that they're holding it over your head, it's not that they're raising their fist at you. It just changes the nature of the relationship. It simply changes the relationship. And and Paul says this, you, you have been set free from the consequences of sin, you've been set free from the power of sin, you now have access to the spirit of the living God, he wants to fill you, like he wants to, uh, he doesn't want to just like stamp your life with I'm working in your life, but he wants to baptize your life, he wants to fill your life, he wants to overflow in your life, he wants to do all kinds of stuff in you, and now he says, now because of that you, you it changes the nature of the relationship, You now have an obligation. And so Paul pivots, starts throwing this weird curveball towards first base, and then he pivots again and he says, It's not to God. He says, This, he says, You are debtors, not to the flesh. And not to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to your flesh, you will die. So, so he, he says this. He says, all of this is going on in your life. You are now debtors. And then he pivots and he makes this weird negative statement. You are debtors not to everything you used to do. You, you don't owe your past life Anything. It's like this weird, He feels like he's going this way, and then he puts in a negative. You're in debt, but not to all that other stuff. You're not in debt to the sin that was in your life. And I think sin is a confusing word sometimes. When Paul brings this up, I think, like, all the church mothers are like, yeah, get them, tell them, tell them. And then, like, all the people, you're just here for the free coffee, and you're like, this is, what are we talking about? What is sin? Is this judgmental? What is this? I, I think the word sin is confusing because we have confused it. I remember growing up in, in church, in the church culture I was in, as a teenager, we would do a summer camp and then we would do a winter retreat. And I remember when I was 12 years old at a winter retreat, there was a preacher and he was preaching about if you play Metallica backwards on a record player, you can hear demon stuff, like you can hear devil worship. Twelve-year-old me was looking at my Discman saying, this, this is a little weird. Why are we? I'm not saying that there isn't anything strange if you play, play a record backward, but I'm saying it's really strange to play a record backward anyway. I got a great idea. Let's listen to music that was composed forward, and let's play it backward, and let's see if it says stuff. Of course, it's jumbled words. Of course. <clears throat> and 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 maybe there is something there that I'm just ignorant to. Here's my problem as a teenager, though. I was like in the phase of setting down my Walkman. Anybody remember a Walkman? Yeah. And picking up my Discman. Anybody remember <laughs> Discman? Okay, so guys, so okay, iPhone, iPhone. Before there was an iPhone, there was an iPod. Before the, okay, okay, before the iPod, there was a discman and, and and I just felt like it had nothing to do with my life. Backmasking record players, and i I didn't even have I have a record player now. I don't know why we need it, but apparently we need it. But back then I didn't, and I, I think that's how we we confuse sin because we get off on these weird tangents and make it really complicated like you're going to accidentally listen to the wrong music backwards. (laughs) Oh, dear God. The the church I grew up in, um, something that was considered sin would have been TVs. Watching TV was sin. Straight to hell. (laughs) Watching Mickey Mouse to hell. But so confusing for me as a kid because that was sin. But everybody I knew just had a monitor and a DVD player. And you say, oh, we're going to watch a TV. And they said, no, that's not not TV. That's a monitor. (laughs) And now, even though they still believe that TV itself is hell, they all watch every show they want to watch on an iPad. It makes sin confusing, doesn't it? Like, which I do we dot, which T do we cross? I mean, for some of you, I mean, sin, it, it, it could have been all kinds of things. Here, here's what I love is sin, sin is really simple. It's this. It's anything that we think, do, or say that doesn't please God. It's that simple. Just anything. You, you don't necessarily need me to tell you what it is. It's anything your conscience will tell you. Anything that you think, do, or say that does not please God is sin. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul is also not afraid to identify what it is so that we can get some examples of things we might think, do, or say that don't please God. And somebody, you're probably thinking like, great, honey, we came to church on the right Sunday. He's talking about sin. (laughs) This is awesome. I promise it gets better. (laughs) Here's what Paul says in Galatians about sin. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature... The results are very clear. <laughs> Playing cards other than Rook, Uno, and Phase 10. <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of you some of you got that because you was raised in that church. <laughs> <You> know, <like. laughs> um, dancing, R It's not what he says. Here's what he says. He He finds it. He says this. The results are clear. These first three are all sexual. He says sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. You mean to tell me that sin has something to do with my sexual life? It could. There could be an area in your sexual life that does not please God. God, God. God actually invades that area. The next one's idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Anybody quarrel with your spouse this week? That's sin. Quarrelling. Sin. Jealousy. This next one's for me. Outbursts of anger. Last night we got in super late from the youth thing and um, we came in and we were cleaning up because the construction. Isn't it exciting to see all that they're doing here? It's just it's super cool. Excuse the dust on your chairs. You're going to have a white booty for the rest of the day, but um, the Lord is at work. And, and I came in and, uh, and, and everybody started stacking chairs. Uh, we'll dust the chairs. I probably will dust the chairs. It'll be fine. And, um, and so, <laughs> sorry. um, and so uh, everybody, we were stacking the chairs and I went and got a lift and put the curtains back how they were. And, and then I noticed just a bunch of things that were just out of order. And, and, and as, as a pastor on Sunday mornings, um, I, I want, I want it to be nice for you when you come in. Um, and so I was, I was just like so frustrated with all the things, trying to get everything straightened out. And, um. My wife was, she had a headache, and so she was like, Come on, let's go. And so I go into the office, and when I walk into the office, my, my kids, and I love my kids, but their stuff was just everywhere. Anybody else have kids? You just They just put their stuff. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, like, well, go, get your stuff out of the hallway in the office. This is an office. Get it out of the hall. And my kids are like, blah, blah. And I'm like, Stop yelling at me. And they're like, You're yelling at me. And I'm like, Anybody else do that? (laughs) He doesn't say that. He doesn't say uh, long, extended grudges, anger. No, he says fits of anger, just a little, like a little popping off the valve of anger, and it was was gone. Two minutes later, done. That's sin in my life. That's an area of my life that is still trying to conform to the image of God. Sin in your pastor's life, right there. So I just owned mine. I'm asking you to lean in and ask which one of these are yours. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and wild parties is he's actually this translation is actually like making that one palatable because the actual word there is orgies. We're like, what kind of crazy people do that? The kind of people that you're with on your phone. I'm saying the kind of people that that you may not be participating in it, but you're there on your phone. Sin. It's something that you think, do, or say that doesn't please God. And, And then he says this. And other sins like these. Another, trans, another translation says it like this. Uh, and the like. He's like, you get it. You get it. Like, it's just that stuff. It's like all that weird stuff. Those, those wild parties. That's, it's, but it's also not the wild parties. It's also envy, jealousy, fits of anger. It's, it's a, the crazy stuff and the little stuff. And then he makes it an inclusive list. Like, it includes things that are not on the list that you know about in your life that I don't know about in your life. Stuff in my life that you don't know about me. It includes it. And the real question is that those things, those, or the, the, the idea is that those things that we think, do, and say that don't please God, they, they create a gap between us and God. Which, which ultimately means we serve those things. It ultimately means those things become rulers in our life, whether we like it or not. And, and that's the very nature of our flesh self or our sinful nature. Like the, the things that don't please God is that they're never satisfied, are they? Like, like those lustful desires. Like you think if you, just, if you just go there one time, it'll be done. But the truth is all it does is create this nasty cycle that never goes away. And you think if, if I could just if I could just you, you know let that person have a piece of my mind I would be satisfied but the truth is you still ruminate it ruminate about it all day long just waiting to tell another person a piece of your mind or and the truth is like you think like just getting a little bit of information on somebody else's personal life is it's not a big deal it's just one little thing but the but a, a, that little piece turns into this rolodex you have about everything going on in everybody else's life Sin is never satisfied. It creates an appetite for whatever our sins are. I I get I get it. Like you came to the church on the on the boulevard because it was supposed to be like cotton candy, and like, yeah, like Jesus loves you, he's got a plan for your life. Yes. But he also has a plan in your life. He loves you deeply. He's overcome the consequences of sin and overcome the power of sin and he's stamped you with his spirit but he also wants to transform you so that you're no longer a debtor to these things so you're no longer ruled by these things. Because my question to you today is this, Who? what are you serving? What is it that gets between you and God? Even though you're saved, even though you're following him, what is the thing that keeps jumping back in the steering wheel of your life? Is it an addiction? Is it a relationship? Is it an identity? Is it pain? Is it like me? Is it fits of anger? I'm just asking you today, what is it? What is it that causes you to lose your peace? And when you go there, you think, man, I have got to get changed. He he goes on and he says this, "But, but but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. He's saying you have no more obligation to serve those things But he does not say you now have an obligation to roll up your sleeves and start fixing all those things. He doesn't say you need to somehow willpower your way through this one. Instead, what he says is, You don't have an obligation to sin anymore. You now have an obligation to uncork the spirit of God in your life and allow the spirit of God to begin addressing areas of your life that fall short of God's best for you. You have an obligation as someone that doesn't deal with the consequences of sin and doesn't deal with the power of sin. You have an obligation to release the Spirit of God into every aspect of your life, into the way you think, into the way you relate with others, into the way you relate with God, into the way you relate with yourself. Release the Spirit of God to put to death some things in your life. Because the truth is that anything in your life that comes between you and God needs to be stopped. And the Spirit of God wants to do more than just save you. He has a work to do through you, but he also has a work to do in you. And that work in you looks like surrendering your entire life, surrendering your mind, your wills, your ambitions, even your proclivities. Even the areas of your life that you thought were who you are. Because ultimately, we begin to think we are those things, don't we? My, my dad just, he, he always struggled with anger. And so I, I'm just an angry person. It's who I am. I'm just angry. When I was young, something happened to me, and so now I just walk with shame, and I just always struggle. I feel like I am, I'm damaged goods, and people look at me that way. It's the way, it's who I am. Because sin doesn't want to just d- destroy you; sin wants to take your identity from you. Like, like I went to, I went to a war, and now I have PTSD, and now who I am is somebody that struggles with PTSD, and I'm just, I'm just a broken man. And I'm telling you, no, you are more than that. You're more than that. And and sin doesn't have to be just bad things. Like, it's not just bad things. Sometimes it's really good things that we just use to sort of supplement the Spirit of God in our life. It's the way we prevent the Spirit of God from having access to our lives sometimes. What I'm saying is, like, maybe for you, it, it may not be a sinful thing. It may just be... The thing that gets between you and God is that you deeply desire the affirmation of other people. And so you live your entire life chasing the affirmation of others, which is a great thing to have in your life, but it is a terrible substitute for the presence of God in your life. Like, maybe for you, it's chasing fame on Instagram, and that's a great thing if you have it, but the truth is, it's a terrible substitute for the Spirit of God. Maybe for you, it was your spouse, and you think, my spouse is supposed to somehow solve all my problems, and can I tell you, a spouse is a blessing, the Bible says that that he who finds a wife, finds a good thing. I think you could say, she that finds a husband found a good thing. But but they're a terrible substitute for uncorking the Spirit of God to be activated into your life. Like, kids are amazing. They're, They're difficult at times, but they're the greatest joy in life. But your kids are a terrible substitute for the presence of God, for the active Spirit of God in your life. Money. You need money. Money's not bad. No, Pastor, I just don't believe in money. It's just sort of this social construct. This paper. I'll take yours then. Like playing Monopoly with a five year old, right? We all feel the pressure of, of finances. The people that have money in the room and the people that don't have money in the room. We all experience the pressure of finances. But can I just tell you that money make a, makes a very poor substitute for allowing the Spirit of God to begin to work in your life? Political parties. Political parties are a necessary part of our culture and our governmental structure, and you have an obligation to participate. They're not the gospel, and they make a horrible substitute for allowing the Spirit of God to transform you. the spirit of the, I don't want to just be set free from the consequences of sin. I don't want to just have power over sin. I want the spirit of the living God released inside of me like white blood cells affecting every area of my life that doesn't conform to what God's best is for me. So what I'm saying is like, you, you don't need to create a, an excel spreadsheet of all the areas of your life you want to get better in. That's, that's not what this message is. It's not like Jesus saves you, now let's make a list. That's not what it is. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 16 about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That means you don't need to make this big ex- Excel sheet. You don't need to categorize all your problems and start checking them off. What you do is you allow the Spirit of God to begin working in you, begin to start listening to the voice of the Spirit. And guess what He will do? He'll begin to pinpoint things in your life that He doesn't approve of and that He's going to transform. Like, quit trying to change things He hasn't addressed yet and start addressing the, or start changing the things He's addressed. He's going to lead you, and how he works is he starts with the big stuff, and then works to the small stuff. He starts with the big, obvious ones, and then he works into the little ones, like like how I think about my spouse, about how I view the way I work, how, how I resent my employer. Like He begins to address the little things. Can I just tell you that God's will for your life is not that you would just be free from sin, not that you would just have power over sin, but that his spirit would be active in your life to transform you from the inside out and then to overflow through you into the lives of others around you. So we have we have this this debt but the debt is the debt is not to our sinful nature the the debt is to allow the spirit of god to govern our lives that's the obligation my my new debt is not it's not that i owe god something it's now that i the nature of our relationship has changed and because of that i owe him an obligation of letting him reign in my life it, it's like when I married my wife, I, I, I could be like, oh, I married my wife. I got a ball and chain. Like, it's just this, <laughs> this horrible debt in my life. No, it's not a, not a debt in that sense, but it is definitely an obligation. There, there are definitely expectations in our relationship. And there's things she expects from me and I expect from her. But it changes the nature of the relationship. Is so, that Okay. Someone, someone choking. You're like, I thought it was gonna be ice cream today. <laughs> for we are led by. For if we are, or for all who are led by the Spirit are of God, are sons of God. I love that because it goes from being free from the consequences of sin. Free from the power of sin. Spirit of God's activated into your life. And now guess what? You are also children of God. Because this whole thing is actually not even about behaviors you do and don't do. It's all about your identity. It's all about who you recognize that you are. You are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So he's saying the point of this is not, is not to create a new debt on you. Like I've saved you, now you owe me. That's not what's going on here. It changes, the, the obligation is not a you owe me. It's now an obligation of relationship. It says this, but you have received the spirit of Adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's the, the spirit of adoption. And what's, what's interesting here is that the, the word, when it says sons there, it's the, in Greek it's huios, which, which means fully grown and mature son. He's, he's writing to the Romans. He, Romans don't adopt the way we adopt. We adopt little babies, because they're so cute. Romans lost their sons to war and would adopt grown people. Knowing their insecurities, knowing their personalities, knowing their flaws, and yet adopting them with full legal, in fact, in a Roman adoption, you could write your biological child out of the will, but you could not write your adopted child out of the will. Because you went in fully aware of who they were. I'm saying that's how God sees you. This is not just like, like you, you just need to work better. You need to become a better person. Be moral. Be a good citizen. No, no, no. You are a child. He says, I see everything about you. I saw where you failed. I saw where you missed the mark. But I also see what I'm doing inside of you. And you are mine. That's good news, somebody. Somebody. That's good news. The spirit of adoption. He says, and and they cry, Abba, Father. Abba, it's like a band or something. <laughs> what it is is this this word, Abba, Abba. I'm saying it like a child because that's what it is. It's Abba. In the same way, every language has the same sort of syllables to refer to a mom and dad. Every language. Because when a child begins to identify mom and dad, the easiest sounds to come out of their mouth are Mama, Dada, Papa, Mama, Dad. And Abba, Abba is what's going on. All it is is a, it's just this, the, the innocent words of a child to a parent. God is saying, I, I saw you as a full-grown personality. I saw all your problems. I saw your divorce. I love you. You're mine now. And now I want you to refer to me not as, yes, sir, yes, yes, sir. I want you to refer to me as innocent as a baby. I want you to say, Abba, Daddy, Abba. He's saying, I want to have this innocent relationship with you that comes from freedom from the consequences of sin, freedom over the power of sin, the power of the Spirit of God growing inside of you. And he's going to eventually fill you and baptize you in in his spirit. And he says, you are mine. That's... So this is, not, this is not a message like, like, let's do better, church. Let's try harder. That's not what this is. This is not a, let's serve more. But we, we need you to serve because Easter's coming up and we have four services. <laughs> kind get of your, get, your, get your booty moving. We need you to serve a little bit around here. Um, <laughs> it's a, four services is a lot. Um, but it's not about serving more. It, it, it's, it's not about try harder. It's not about identify all your areas of improvement and bring them all up by 3%. That's not what this is. This is not be more disciplined. This is not rededicate your life to the Lord, which I think you should do. I do it often, rededicate my life to the Lord, but that's not what this is. This is a confidence that he which began a good work in you, he has a full plan to finish that thing, and all you've got to do, you're not obligated to figure it all out. You're just obligated to surrender to his spirit and allow his spirit to govern your life. So this is not about intensity. It's not about more effort. And discipline is good. Serving is good. Effort is good. This is about being adopted into the body of Christ. So the band would come right now. This is about him saying, I saw you lost and afraid. I saw you angry and embittered. And I want to work in you and through you to transform your world and the world of people around you. I'm just saying like... When we think living for God is confessing our faith and then moving on and just going from there or repeatedly just coming back and just confessing our faith, we're missing the mark. When, When we think living for God is confessing our faith and then finding out what my vision for life is, we're missing the mark. God has a vision for your life. He has a purpose for your life. But not just through your life. He has a vision for your life. And so there's a mark of maturity in somebody that says, God, I I don't want to just confess you as Lord. I want you to actually be Lord. I want you to actually rule my life. There's the story of St. Augustine from the fourth century. Before he was saved, he was um, very promiscuous. As the Bible would say, and such were some of ye, in the King James. He was very promiscuous. And there's a story that he's walking down the road after he's, he's come to the Lord, and he's not just placed his faith in Jesus, he's saying, Holy Spirit, I want to give you rain to everything in my life. Address the things that need to be addressed. And he's walking down the street, and he hears a voice behind him say, Augustine. He keeps walking and says, Augustine. And he keeps walking. And someone grabs his hand and turns him around, and it's one of his ex-lovers. And she says, Augustine. It is I. And he looks at her and says, yes, but it is no longer I. I'm just saying God has such a powerful work that he wants to do in your life. He doesn't do it by you figuring it out and working hard. He does it by the washing of renewal of his spirit my greatest challenge to you is this. Let's let the Spirit of God have access to all of our lives. Let's not be the kind of believers that cork the Spirit down and say, like, I, I want to have faith in Jesus, and I want nice, comfortable church, but Spirit, don't, don't address the stuff in my life. Spirit, don't-, don't work through my Spirit, don't speak to me. Let's release the Spirit of God to invade our lives, to transform our lives. And to change us. Then says this the Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God. And so there's this interesting thing that happens is right here, Paul changes the idea of what it means to be a child of God. Earlier, he said, You are adopted. And just a verse later, he now says, he he used huyas, which means grown, a grown young person. Here, he uses a different word. He uses the word technon, which literally translated means born one. It refers to an infant, a born one. You are adopted. God saw you, and he knew everything about you, and yet he still chose you. But you are also His. You are also, like, at the at the like the DNA level, of His, and at the purpose level, of His. You have the benefit of him knowing everything about you and choosing you. But you are also not, like you are also his. Like you are born into this thing. That's not, we call it like the new birth. Like we are all reborn into this thing called faith. And I'm just telling somebody today that God wants a deeper relationship with you than you can ever imagine. More real than the relationship you have with the person sitting next to you. He wants you so while our world argues about all the ways we divide ourselves, while we as Americans find endless possibilities for being distinct from others, politically, we divide. Racially, we divide. Economically, we divide. We divide over how much education you have. We divide over whether you live in Northern Idaho or Southern Idaho. We divide over the type of license plate on your car. If we can't find enough things to divide about, we divide about people that really like football and Raiders fans. We're in the wrong church, honey. Raiders fan. (laughs) In the body of Christ, that's not how it's supposed to be. In the body of Christ, we are all his. We are his, and he is ours. And you are mine, and I am yours. So we are his, and he is ours. But also, he's yours, and you are his. And you are hers, and she is his. And we together are the children of God, joint heirs with Christ. He goes on and he says this. He says, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I'm telling you, like, you are not alone. He does not say just figure it out, muscle your way through. He says, no you have the spirit of God living in you, and you have a body of believers that want to come around you and support you and lift you up and build you up, and you have full access to God. And then he says, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Stop, wait a minute, preacher. What what do you mean suffer with him? What I mean is this whole process is not easy. You don't have to do it, but it is not an easy bake oven. Sometimes it just feels like suffering. Sometimes walking through overcoming the sins in our life feels like just a never-ending battle. But I'm telling you that it is the willingness to endure that struggle that says you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Would you stand with me across the room? Is this all right? I just believe God wants He He wants churches. That, he wants churches to grow because he's trying to reach his, his world, but not on the sake of his people not growing. And I believe if you'll let this set in your spirit and you begin to say, God, where is it in my life that your spirit's at work? What are you doing in me? I believe you'll grow. Would you just kind of lift your hands? Lord, I thank you that that through the death of Jesus on a cross and his resurrection we have access we are granted access Lord I thank you that you, cons- that you conquered the, the effects of sin the consequences of sin in our lives and I thank you that you have conquered the power of sin But Lord, right now I'm asking that your spirit would begin to bubble up inside of us. That we would be a people marked, not by pressing down your spirit and resisting you at all costs, but we would be people marked by an openness to your presence, marked by an openness to your spirit to address the things in our life, an openness to whatever you want. So Spirit of the living God, take my mind. Take our minds and transform us by the renewing of our minds. Spirit of the living God, work inside our hearts and transform us from the inside out. Spirit of the living God. God. You have access to every part of us. Our ambitions, our dreams, our hopes. Lord, have your way with our hands, our feet, our mouths. God, I pray you would fill us with your spirit. That you would pour out your spirit in our homes and in our lives and in our church so that we would be people that are marked by the living God. Have your way. Your way in us, Jesus. I wonder if there's someone in the room right now, and for you, you just simply recognize you're 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 not close to God. You're far from God. Or maybe for you, far from God sounds too drastic, but you know you're not right with God. That you just give me yeah. Just give me. I see that. I see that. Just keep it up so I can see who I'm talking to. That's good. I see that. I got some honest people, I love that. Listen, it, it, this is not some sort of hurdle you have to jump through, some ladder you climb. He's already finished it all. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do and say that don't please him. And we believe in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and when we do this, It's like his spirit stamps into our life. And he's saying, now uncork that spirit and let the spirit of God flow through you. Pray something like this with me. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning from it now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died on a cross That he was buried for three days. That when he rose again, he gave me power over the effects of sin, power over the power of sin. Lord, that he puts me in right standing with you. So right now I'm putting all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's some people that just made the best decision of their life, of their life. In the family of God. You're not alone. You're not alone. You have him. He has you. You have us. We have you. Together. Together. Church, before I walk off the stage, I want to say this. Don't just walk out of the room on this message. I believe God is calling this body of believers to invite the Holy Spirit to have his way in us and through us. I believe he's saying, would, would you just surrender to me so I can deal with the things in your life? But also, would you surrender to me so I can fill you to overflowing, so I can top you up with my spirit? Would, would you surrender to me so that I can work through you in the community around what God needs most is not politically activated Christians, it's spiritually activated Christians. But I want to challenge you be open to the presence of God. And is that all right? Is that a good enough challenge for somebody today?
0: God bless you. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.